This is the Dental Elements Podcast, the podcast that is for everyone in the profession. Join us for a refreshing conversation with innovators, collaborators, and inspirers. Cheers to that. I met Dr. Uchi when he came to speak in Portland, Oregon at a conference for hygienists. Besides being charismatic on the stage and entertaining, showing off his muscles, and to learn about fitness and health and all this, oh, I know, I know, I know, I should do this. Like, you know, I always feel like we're going to be lectured when people talk about that. But you made it so real and so important and entertaining. And I just loved it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to see more of this guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I'd like you two all to meet Dr. Uchi as well. If you haven't met Dr. Uchi Ariato, he's going to tell us just a little more about himself. Sure. I remember that time as Oregon Phillips had sponsored the event. It was yes, a great meeting for hygienists. And I think I like to focus was the biome and, and the gut health. And yes. it's a very new subject. It's, it's amazing how, as much as you and I know quite a bit about it, Cindy, it's amazing how the average person, nothing. The average patient, nothing. Or they think it's just all about, you know, what kind of probiotic I take. So that was the event that time in May. I think it was maybe 2018, maybe. So like four years ago already, or 2019, maybe. But, um, but I'm a dentist. I'm a dentist for over 25 years. I'm certified as a trainer. I've written a couple of books. I write. I've spoken probably now. I remember looking back to quantify. It's about 500 lectures in about seven countries over the last 15 years and honored to share my message. And I think I, I get a lot of people asking me at the end of a talk, I want to do what you do. Uh, people say, I want to start speaking. And I said, well, it's not just speaking. It's about, do you have a message that's unique and do people want to hear it? Or when you're talking at a party or when you're sharing something at a in an elevator, do people lean in? And if people lean in when you describe something that you're interested in, that's something that you could probably get invited to lecture on. So it's not just about me speaking. It's about me having a different twist on a very old subject, which is food and health. But my twist on it, my insight is somewhat interesting to an audience. And that's what I keep going by. It's not just me speaking. It's about sharing something unique about an old subject, like people have been eating for a million years. How can I make it different? How can I help people? And that's where I come from. So it's all about serving the greater good when I speak. It's not just about me thinking, oh, I'm promoting a book or I want to be heard. It's about sharing something of value to help someone with a part of their lives that they need help on. Yeah, so many people do want to be speakers or consultants and they want to do more outside of dentistry because dentistry i mean it can be repetitive which can be great because we know what to expect and which could be great for some of us but at the same time we also want to branch out and do other things and we have so many gifts and i also think it's important not to just do one thing for our brains and our bodies correct me if i'm wrong but but i love what you said because it's not about speaking or talking it's about sharing a message and it's a big difference nobody wants to hear somebody rattle on and on and on they yeah, want to listen. Yeah, I like that. It, it's helping someone. It's helping someone with something. It's it's healing something. It's supporting something. Like just to hear yourself. When I sing in the shower, I sound amazing. But uh, <laughs> is how do you sound when you do karaoke? <laughs> so, am I helping someone? Am I helping someone with a, a part of their lives where they have challenges as relationships become meaningful? Like how do I add value to you? And not just chair side, as obviously we're all in the dental profession. But uh, conferences or in the elevator, how could I add value? And that's where I come from. So wellness is my space. So it's nutrition, sleep, managing stress, movement, 
And it's things that I do naturally. Like people think, Uch, why do you look like that? And how can you have so much energy at eight o'clock? Because I, I worked till eight o'clock tonight in Eastern Standard Time. Like, why do you have as much energy at the end of your day as you did at the beginning of the day? I'm like, doesn't everyone? No, not everyone has the same amount of energy. So some things I do naturally. So whatever I do naturally and easily, I love to share how I got to that point in time. Because for some people, it's not always so easy. It's not always so natural. Right. They don't know. And so they can't help. But so I like that you like to share instead of keeping it to yourself. Like, I just want to be better than everybody. I'm going to look good. And I'm not going to tell them the secret so they can just all be losers on the couch. And I could even look better because there are people like that. I love that you want to share. You want everybody to feel as good as you do. And that's amazing that you want to share that. It starts with patience, though. Like my last patient tonight was said, eight o'clock. She goes, how are you here? I said, my day in the pandemic started off halfway through the day. I said, I've only been here since one o'clock. But I said, but I like to be here for people in the evening time. Many people can't take the time off work. So I love being available in the evening time. And she goes, why do you look so fresh? I said, well, I've had a coffee in the morning. I said that I do certain things. I breathe a certain way. I move a certain way. That allows me to be here. I said, plus, I love what I do. You think many people love what they do? And they've actually shown that 80%, this is Kathy Jameson of Jameson Consultants. She's a you know, major consultant yeah. and player in the industry. She said 80% of people either tolerate or don't like their job. 80% of people either tolerate or don't like their job. So that leaves basically one-fifth of people love what they do. So, But the minute you love what you do, you do have effortless energy. You are able to, to do more than the person who's just tolerating. So a lot of it's, you know, how do you find a job or industry that you love? But something about loving what you do allows you to transcend energy and dig deep when you have to, and do more than the average person do what you do. Yeah, and that's great because you are kind of the chatter in some of our consulting groups when I talk to other consultants and the meetings and things like that. Your name always comes up and we're talking about late at night. We're like, you can text him anytime and he'll answer. Like He's like the king of sleep too. Like, is he really sleeping? But it's not that you're not sleeping. It's just mm-hmm. that we're tired, even though it's not even bedtime. If somebody's just tolerating their job. I've been there before when I was young and just, you know, you just go to work, you dread it. Sunday comes, you have anxiety and you go to bed. And, but now I don't know. I like, I want to go to sleep because I'm excited to get up. And so I don't sleep because I'm excited for the next day. And what's your recommendation for somebody that is in that situation or how do they get out? Cause that's a passion of mine too, to help people realize they don't have to be stuck in that situation. Mm-hmm. Good question. I, for some reason, I've been watching Ultimate Fighting Championships and MMA the last few weeks. I'm not sure why I'm interested in it. And my mother's Irish. My father's Nigerian. So I call myself an African leprechaun. Okay. I so I, I feel an affinity with Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is probably the most noted and the most famous or noteworthy person in mixed martial arts. Not that I'm a fan of beating people up, but when you hear Conor McGregor speak, nine years ago, he was on welfare. So nine years ago, he was a journeyman plumber. He had a dream of possibly doing boxing someday. But he set a goal, he said. He said, I want to do something where I look alive every day. And if you hear some of the things on YouTube about how he thinks and what he thinks about the average person, the way they work, he said, I was a journeyman plumber in Ireland, in Dublin. And he said, when I went to work, everyone else looked like they were dead inside. Their eyes were dead inside. And here he is, you know, 21, 22. And that's pretty insightful. He said, people walk around like there's no life in their eyes. He called it dead in their eyes. And he goes, I do not want to end up like this. He goes, I want a job where I love and I'm passionate about. 
He goes, I love boxing. Not everyone sets the parameters to be the best in the world. He said, I want to be the best in the world at this, which is pretty prophetic or who knows why he thought that. But nine years later, he's the most famous, most noted. He's worth $200 million. He's got his own whiskey. Not that he's even the best ultimate fighter and champion, but he's the most well-known for his passion. So it was all about finding something where he doesn't look dead inside. And he said, I want the kind of work that I come alive when people talk to me. I come alive when I'm talking about it. So that's a neat something to shoot for. How can I have fire in my eyes? Sylvester Stallone talked about fire in the belly. But Conor McGregor said he doesn't want to look dead in the eyes like the people that he worked with nine years ago. And now he's worth $200 million. Isn't that true? And following your passion. And so kind of like following the stream. So we always like swim upstream. And if you fall in the river, you're not going to swim upstream, right? You're going to follow it down to the ocean. So why do Mm -hmm. we think every day has to be hard? We should be following our paths, kind of listening to your gut, like (laughs) no pun intended with gut health, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) listening Mm -hmm. to it, right? And following the stream. So I love that. Yeah, I love that too. And I haven't watched MMA, but I've heard a lot of some women too, that they really like it. Not the fighting part, but I guess the story and the brain and the grit I get. I, I must be, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's a human drama. You can go on YouTube and you can see this. So there's a number of different stories now in Conor McGregor, only because now that he's number one, I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about, as many people talk about going to the top, how hard it is. But he said, when you're at the top, everyone shoots for you. And all you can do at the top is go down. So as the top person, he's got a lot of people talking about him and dissing him or whatever, but he's at the top. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is the same thing. He says, when you're going to the top, you're hungry, you're always working, but there's always one person at the top and you got to defend your position. But I remember he was saying how the key thing for him is, he said, not many people actually know what they want to do, but he said, many people have an idea in their heart what they'd like to do, but few people talk it. You know, many people think about what they want to do, someday aisle, someday aisle. Some people actually feel it, which is great, But he said, few people speak it into action. Most people, when they speak, talk about the problems, the pain, and the challenges. Few people actually say in their heart what they'd like to do more about for feeling judged. So he talked about the law of attraction. It was funny. He said in 2006, much of his sister, a friend of his, gave him the video, the law of attraction. And he said he watched it. He came alive. He said he realized many people have dreams in their heart but they don't talk about them into action. But he said, if you have it in here and you have it in your heart and you speak it, you become it. And I thought, wow, here's the guy with no university education, no college, no training in a PhD of psychology. But somehow he basically verbalized what that whole movie was about in a single sentence. Few people have the amount of heart to talk about what they really want. Most people talk about what they don't want. Few people talk about what they want continuously enough to pull themselves in that direction. So profound for a UFC fighter with no college education or and 21 or training. Yeah. yeah, 21. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Yeah. Yeah. They say like have vision boards and so I'm thinking, well, maybe the universe can't read your mind is where I'm getting at. Because if I say things out loud too, they happen like instantaneously. I'm like, whoa. And it's freaky. And then they say the universe doesn't understand not. If you say you don't want something, it doesn't understand don't. And so what you're speaking about is what they're giving you and you know just in the law of attraction way and so i think like when you were saying about the mma guy 
him saying that out loud. It wasn't that he was arrogant and some people will speak mm-hmm. out loud. It's not that they're arrogant or setting those goals about being the best. It's because they're saying it out loud, not so you can hear them, but so the universe can hear them. Like, and so themselves can become accountable mm-hmm. for it. And so then it happens. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I do that in lectures. I have a, an activity in the beginning of a program where I tell people to write down 10 reasons why this year you're going to get in the best shape of your life. And people say, well, this year, well, when are you going to wait 10 years from now? So whether it's 200 people or a thousand people, everyone writes down, I ask them to write down 10 reasons why this year they're going to get in the best shape of their lives. And I put some music on, I let people go. And after two minutes, I say, who here has all 10? Usually it's maybe a third of them. Most people are still not sure what I said. They're not sure how they should do it. They're not sure how detailed they should be. And after five minutes, I'll say, who here is finished? And you'll get maybe whatever, like 40% of people will hold up their hands. Now say, who here would like to share? Now, out of a thousand people, many times you'll get like three people say, I want to share. And I said, who here wants to stand up and share? Many times, about how many people is, it's always only one person. And I'm like, oh, I'll go down to whatever row it is. And I'll say, what's your name? Sheila. Sheila, um, what are your 10 reasons? Oh, I'll say my 10 reasons. And Sheila will name her 10 reasons. What? I'm, I'm going to be a grandmother. I'm a hygienist. It's been 30 years. It's my turn or whatever. They are. I'm newly divorced. They'll say, I want to run a marathon. And I said, let's give Sheila a round of applause. So now Sheila gets a round of applause for, for saying her 10 reasons. And I said, did you know that anyone that to declare what they want and why in public, it's powerful in terms of getting there. And I said, Sheila, I may never see you again, but I bet you within a year, you have more chance of uh, of saying yes to your getting in shape than anyone else here because you declared it publicly. There's something about declaring something publicly that is powerful. Many people don't want to or they feel judged. Well, guess what? All the universe knows you feel judged. So guess what? I'm going to pass over you and we're going to go to Conor McGregor who says, I want this because. I am ready. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Talking about that. So if somebody is in dentistry, if they're looking to expand or if they do want more and they want to get into speaking, how did you get into speaking? And what was your first step? Or did you just kind of know that was a passion you've always had? Or you just had this message, like you said, you just had this message and you wanted to share. And that was the best way was to get out there and tell people or to share. Question. Okay. So asking how to get into speaking. Um, well, we're all speaking, right? From the age of one, I was saying, dad, dad, mama. So I was speaking a long time ago. But speaking that counts or speaking that helps people, speaking that matters, speaking that supports is a little different. But I would say my mom's a neat little lady. She's a very shy lady, Irish, hilarious, loved telling stories one-on-one or maybe with three or four people. However, when it came time to a camera on her, she would freeze like a deer in the headlights. Not very good in public. Funny as heck in private. So I feel now that I'm her public voice. It's funny, like she passed away maybe six years ago. But it's amazing how whenever I'm on stage or on a riser or sharing her story, I'm channeling, you know, little Mary O'Brien's energy because she was a great storyteller. She loves seeing the humor in situations. So anytime you're humorous, it helps people listen to you because life is pretty serious, right? There's bills. There's problems, there's a pandemic, there's Putin, <laughs> pandemic Putin, right? <laughs> like, yes, a lot, a lot of P words. So anytime you can bring levity or lightness to a conversation, 
people think, oh, I can let my guard down. Let me listen to this fun story. So no matter how important your subject is, if you can add some humor or lightness to it, it's amazing how much that's easier to listen to. So whether you're a pastor or a rabbi or a teacher or a professor, the teachers or professors that I remember most often in university were funny or they had some humor to it. So I learned humor from my mom. I see humor in funny situations. I can be on a plane and someone will pass by and there'll be a funny situation involved, right? So being funny helps get people to think, I want to hear this person again. So finding the humor in something, being spontaneous, having a lighthearted is massive. But also I think having something unique to say, like some people memorize stuff. They go on Google or they memorize or speak on leadership and they memorize four articles. I think when you live it, it's much more interesting. You know, you can actually talk about something, but if it's memorized or very academic, it's not that interesting. But if you're living it, you're actively living it and you're doing well at it, then it becomes something that you actually, you're living the solution instead of memorizing someone else's solution. Many people look for a speech, they read four books, while well, you're regurgitating four other experts. But if you're living leadership or living health or living ergonomics, living sleep solutions, now you become the living embodiment of the message. You add humor. Now people are saying, could you please come to my kid? I started it with, I think, grade one classes back in 1994. I talked to a grade one class on dentistry. So I've now, you know, gone to, I possibly can be invited to an LBI program next year. I'm doing all kinds of interesting things in Denmark and Norway. But I started off with grade one and they, they didn't throw apples at me and rotten tomatoes. So now I'm elevated to, you know, leaving the country and, and doing other things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So just start, just do it. And make grade it one. <laughs> start with grade one. Start at grade one. You can start at grade one. You can only go up from there. And if they don't like you, then go back to kindergarten. Talk to kindergarten kids about flossing or brushing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where I started. And then I do OSHA and HIPAA and infection control. And you know how exciting that is. You're in Canada. You're Toronto? Toronto, yeah. Okay. So you're even more restricted or regulations in Oregon here because we're pretty tight. So I have to go to these dental offices and tell these doctors what government says it's good for their health and so I go in there they're already like and so I do I make it funny I can't help it sometimes it just comes out and I'm like it's my dad's like he was super funny he sounds just like your mom like he was super quiet but super funny and same thing anyway so I go in there I call it my on the roads comedy show because Mm -hmm. it can be funny I mean you know you can find humor in it but sometimes you can't sometimes you go into a group and they're all business and they just want to know the facts and and so that's what you give them. It's not, you know, it's not as fun, but that's okay too, because that's a serious topic. But. but you can tone it down. Like if an office is really serious, if they've just been regulated or mandated, or they've been like frozen mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you can still bring some humor, even yeah. if it's lighthearted. And sometimes it may not be humor as much as passion. If they're really serious, and that's why even during a eulogy, like you can do a eulogy and people are at even a eulogy are ready to have some release of tension. So sometimes comedy... And humor is a release of tension. So yes. you go into a serious office talking about OSHA, but you bring your lighthearted nature and passion. It's amazing how you can uh, you know, marry the two together and get your point across. Okay, OSHA is a serious subject, but there's some lighthearted aspects to it. So I'm sure you do a good job, Cindy. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more. What do you do outside of dentistry and outside of this speaking and all of these work things that you do? And what do you do that makes you happy, that keeps you healthy besides work and exercising? That can't be all you do. 
Um, you'd be surprised, actually. I think a lot of what I do is I try to find in the moment, like whatever I'm doing, that's my ultimate goal is to be present, whether it's making a temporary crown after a crown prep or in a yoga class. I, I'd, I'd done a, a formal one-hour yoga class in several months with the pandemic, but I went a few weeks ago on a Friday morning and it was so challenging. Like I was like, it was so challenging to be in this hot yoga class. Oh. Here, here I'm, I'm certified as a yoga teacher. And I was struggling, you know, with the towel and the sweat and dabbing my head. And um, so, but in the moment though, I'm thinking, wow, it's neat to be a beginner again. Because many people are in a class or one of my lectures or as a dentist learning a new procedure like implants or hygienist learning something new about oral systemic health. It's good to be a beginner. I think a beginner's mind is a great place to be. And I think many times people think of me as a teacher, but I would say I'm a student as much as I'm a teacher. I'm always learning. I'm never far from being a teacher. I'd probably say I'm half and half. And I think the best teachers are also students. I find places to be a student everywhere I go, whether it's looking at someone, negotiate something at a store to get a return or anywhere. So I'd say one of my most fun things I do is to be a student at any one time. That's part of who I am, seeing what the learning situation is, because what good is life going through thinking I know it all? I remember Deepak Chopra, who's the author of 50 books. He said, anyone who says they know it all, run away from, because saying you know it all, they said back in 1895, the US patent office was going to close down because they thought in 1895, they've invented enough or invented enough things already. So Saying you know it all is a scary place to be. So I love being a lifelong learner. It could be anywhere I find myself to be. That's fun for me, learning and uh, beginning again. Yeah, that's exciting. So it is. It's like, that's your hobby, learning, whatever it is, whatever you come into, whatever situation, just learning. And you can learn so much from patients. And so being a dentist or seeing those many patients a day, you get to learn from each one of them. They each have their own story and their own lives. And to listen to them, you probably learn so much more from them than they do from you. Even though they come there to learn from you, you feel like that's your job. But really, as a hygienist, I almost feel guilty. I'm like, I feel like I'm taking from you. Like, you just learn so much. I love that. You know, everyday stories. That. Yeah. And I say, as a healthcare provider, if you can make the patient the star. So patients often try and say, so doctor, what's up with you? Is you turn it back to them, right? Because I, I know me, my assistant knows me. So I would say, make the patient the star. The, the chair is the stage. Let them be the star. You know, if someone's yeah. anxious, let them talk about a part of their lives where they feel confident and they will lose that anxiety. So no matter how anxious someone is, if they're a stockbroker and they're anxious about getting a root canal done or a crown prep done, let them talk about Bitcoin. And all of a sudden they become powerful and now I'll work on them. So um, I think learning from them, making them feel like the star is a great place to be. And I, I love patients who are 85, 90, 95, 100 and I think many times we could learn from them. Like I'll ask a, a 95-year-old person who drove in, their belt matches their shoes. They have an iPhone and an Apple Watch. And I'm saying, can I ask you a question? What do you do every day? And it's amazing how simple their fitness habits are. And I think many experts on Instagram or on Facebook do all these complicated movements and exercises and all this internal rotation and all this really high-end, one-handed push-ups. The people that live the longest seem to have the most simple plans. So one of my gifts is I like to look at from a global perspective. I like to look at common threads. I'm thinking if I want to get to 80, 85, 90, 95, 100 and be lucid, pain-free with good balance, it seems like simple, sustainable, easy is the way to go. There's not many 95-year-olds who tell me I do handstand push-ups and four-minute planks and eat 
45 grams of protein by noon every day. It seems to be pretty basic stuff. So I think slow and steady wins the race. When you think of that whole um, fable of the tortoise and the hare, the tortoise wins because slow and steady wins the race. It wins it, seems to be in races. But also Warren Buffett says basically financial advice is slow and steady. It's pretty boring. Buy companies that you understand and hang on to them. Bitcoin up and down. I was a millionaire last night and now I'm, I owe money. Well, fitness is the same way. Slow and steady wins the race. It's fairly boring to add variety, eat some salad, eat a little bit of protein and do something every day. So slow and steady wins the race. It does. And by the way, Warren Buffett sponsors our podcast. So thank you for mentioning that. You didn't even know that. So Look at that. Well, I know. Warren like, yeah, yeah. Go Warren. So yeah, I love that. And so so many people, including myself, I was like, I'll do that tomorrow. Or I'm not even going to all clean the refrigerator tomorrow. Just so I got to do it perfectly. And I love your approach, how you don't have to. It's okay mm -hmm. if today all I feel like doing is walking my dog before it starts pouring. And that's all we get in. It's something it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And I love that you take that approach. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. Actually, I just came back from the Great in New York and there was a Great in New York meeting, which is like the biggest dental conference in North America every year. It's in November after Thanksgiving weekend in New York City. One of my posts on Instagram was food porn, you know, food porn from beginning to end, from my flight into my flight out. And then someone said, Uchi, you had a pizza in New York? You had a pizza? I'm like, yeah. You can eat pizza and have a flat stomach? Yeah, you can have pizza and have a flat stomach. So you'd be surprised how many dental professionals think of this all or nothing, crazy, macro, keto, paleo, organic. And I'm thinking like, who does that except Michael Phelps on the Olympics? But if you just want to be in shape, have a flat stomach and live a long time, you can throw some pizza in a diet and still look and feel great. So I love showing that you can be natural. You can have some birthday cake. You can have dessert at your friend's birthday party and still be in shape because most people think it's either all or nothing. Either I never eat cake or I eat cake. And never eating cake is boring. And it's a way to have the wagon so high when you fall off, you're off until the next January 1st. So pizza is completely fine in New York at the Great New York meeting. Just ask Paul Firestein and Marty Jablo, my uh, pizza eating maniacs. Oh yeah. <laughs> I did see that post that you made about all the diet fads, how they fail. And most people that do diets, they do, they end up worse off because of that, because they just go all in like, ah, oh, and they drop it and they just eat or they prepare for their diet. I mean, okay, me too. You prepare yeah. for your diet, not anymore though. And so you eat as much as you can. You do as worse as you can before you start. So before January 1st, this month, I'm just going to eat as much as I can, drink as much as I can. No, you're not going to get anywhere. You might lose that five pounds that you gained in December, but then you're going to stop for it. because you can It's called the last supper effect. So the last supper effect means when someone says they're going to go on a diet tomorrow or January 1st, if you're going to go on a diet January 1st, the last supper lasts 30 days from December 1st to December 31st. So the last supper effect means I'm going to go all out until the day it happens. So this is a way to do it. So it's like, it's not, it's not thinking this is the last time I ever get a chance to eat. Yeah, for sure. And I also wanted to say that I'm Irish too. So we got that in common. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, I guess Scottish, that's Irish too, right? Celtic. So I'm not going to keep you too much longer because I know you've had a long day. No matter what they say out there in the world, I know you still need to get your beauty sleep and yes. take care of yourself and get some get some dinner. And mm. one more thing too, diet, like when people do diet and you're so strict, I've been there too, but people people are there, they're so strict. And all they do is count, write down their food. And even if you're healthy, 
you're not living. And so you have to live at the same time and be healthy, right? You can't just be so obsessed and consumed with your diet and what you're eating that you can't enjoy life at the same time. Well, food has two functions. What I've read and what I've studied, like it has a functional role and a hedonistic role. Hedonistic means pleasure. So food should be functional. So growth and repair, and it should be pleasurable. If you deny pleasure and just eat for function, it's not fun. You'll fall off the wagon very quickly. But after a while, though, you can actually recondition your taste buds in as little as 10 days where function gives you lots of pleasure. So I'll eat a plate of kale and blueberries and organic chicken and nuts and feta cheese. And I get tons of pleasure now I'm investing in my body. But if I eat just for pleasure, that is okay. But if you eat for pleasure all the time, it's going to show up in the blood work and it's going to show up on your skin. It's going to show up on your body. So your body or your blood work is literally your report card and how well you eat. So you got to balance the two, pleasure and function, you know, what it's doing for me, how I feel about it. But if you all you eat, if you all, the only time you, if all you do is make emotional choices, it's not a good stepping stone for overall good health. That is true. So don't make just emotional choices. Eat like crap, you're going to feel like crap. It's that simple. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll get to have you on the podcast again. So definitely privileged to have you as a guest. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, Cindy. Always a pleasure. Now, you invite me back. I'll make time for you. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. So I've always been a little anxious myself going to the dentist. And I would, okay, I sometimes still do hold on to the handles of the chair, like grab each handle and just squeeze really hard. Um, Give myself something to do with my hands to squeeze the chair, even for a simple polish. You know, so it can be uncomfortable and scary. And uh, some patients with anxieties and extra fears have even more anxiety. And so there are a fidget poppers that you can use. So you can go give those to your patients and they can hang on to them. And then they can concentrate on what's in their hand, that little popper, instead of focusing on what you're doing or having to grab that chair and squeeze so tight. It takes your mind off of the treatment. And some patients with a gag reflex, and you're asking them to breathe through their nose, wiggle their toes, anything to take their mind off of what you're doing, it really helps you get a good picture and open contact. And it's a lifesaver and time saver for you and the patient. And so with these fidget poppers, you can hand them to the patient and they can focus on that instead of focusing on the fact that you're putting an x-ray sensor down their throat and it helps them be happier and more calm. Uh, Check out fidget poppers, smilemakers.com, use code DAP20 for 20% off of your order.